Support for Veterans Corner on Veterans Corner Radio is made possible by M&M Printing and the Observer News of Ruskin. Hello and welcome to this edition of Veterans Corner Radio, information for and about veterans. On today's Veterans Corner, Bill Hodges talks with John Rowan, the National President of Vietnam Veterans of America. John Rowan was elected to an eighth term as the National President of the VVA at the organization's 19th National Convention in Spokane, Washington. During this interview, he spoke of how, when our vets came back from Vietnam, there were no ticker tape parades and that even some of the mainline veterans organizations turned their backs on the vets. Hence the start of VVA, to serve the unique needs of the cast-aside warriors. We think that the result of what these men faced coming home is the basis on which Americans have built a greater respect for those who currently serve. This podcast will demonstrate how the organization continues to serve veterans. Here now is Bill Hodges with Veterans Corner on Veterans Corner Radio. Welcome to Veterans Corner, a show dedicated to providing information to all those who have served our country's military and to their families. Now, here is your host, newspaper columnist, management trainer, and Air Force veteran, Bill Hodges. Hi, I am Bill Hodges, and this is Veterans Corner Radio. And whether you're listening to this over one of our four FM stations or as a podcast, we always suggest you have a paper and pencil ready because there's so many things you may want to write down. Also, if there's anybody else in the house, you might want to have them come in and listen with you because there's much information here, not only for veterans, but for their families. My guest today is John Rowan. John is president of the Vietnam Veterans of America. And John's been with the organization just about since its beginning, right, John? Yes, sir. How many years did you serve in the military? I was uh, in the service. I was in the Air Force for two and a half years. You're one of those guys that joined to get out of the draft? Yep. <laughs> I joined to get out of town so my dad didn't see my college grades. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had a job and everything, but I knew the draft was breathing down my neck. So I enlisted in 1965, in July, actually, 65, about 55 years ago. I spent four years in the Air Force. I really believe that those four years were among the best four years that I could possibly have spent as a young person. Oh, I agree. I mean, I, I, I had, I only spent two and a half years cause I, I, my father was dying of lung cancer. So they oh, sent me home. Ouch. Yeah. So I had a, uh, you know, discharge to go home. I had a job waiting for me and everything. So they said, okay, get out of here. No, <laughs> they, they can't use a Vietnamese linguist on Long Island. <laughs> By the way, my, uh, my granddaughter is a Russian linguist, just oh, got wow. out of the army, and her husband is an Arabic speaker who oh, wow. has just gone through OCS, and he'll be staying in. I'm so proud of those kids. Yeah, yeah, not easy, hard stuff, especially Russian. John, how did the Vietnam Veterans of America get started? I mean, we already had the American Legion and the VFW and these other organizations. What made it important to have a special organization for the Vietnam veterans? 
Yeah, well, the truth, the truth of the matter is the old, the old line organizations weren't very hospitable to the Vietnam vets. It's what I've been told. Yeah, well, I, I've thought about it a long time over the years, and I really believe it was the old classic generation gap. The, the World War II guys were running those organizations and ran them forever. And so when we came along, we were kind of these long-haired hippie kids, you know, that they didn't like. <laughs> And we weren't in a real war, even though most Vietnam vets, especially the ground founders, spent more time in combat than most of the guys in World War II. And they weren't dealing with our issues, and we were bringing up issues that they didn't even want to talk about. Uh, PTSD, for one. And, of course, Agent Orange, which they had no idea what the heck we were talking about. And so they didn't take care of our needs, and we had to fill the gap. I had a very good friend, Jess, who was a river rat over there Mm -hmm. in Vietnam. And he was telling me stories when he came back that they would fly over with the defoliants, they said. These are weed killers. Don't worry about them. And they'd be soaking wet yeah. on these boats going up and down the river. Yep. Yeah, that the admiral who was in charge of that, whose son died from Agent Orange illness, Sumwalt, he was the guy who ordered that whole stuff. And they sprayed everything off the, the river, the, on, along the rivers, on the edges, cleaned everything out for 20, 30, 40 yards in. So they wouldn't get shot at all the time as their boats were going up the rivers. And they use that stuff all over the place. I, uh, I'm 100% disabled now from, from exposure to Agent Orange stuff. Between uh, diabetes, complications from diabetes, uh, aortic heart condition, they replaced my aortic valve three years ago. And I attribute it to a very short stint in Da Nang where my tents, we were right by the fence line where the Marines had, had the guard towers around the airbase. And you had, it was an ablated grass growing for at least a hundred, a couple hundred yards out because they defoliated everything. And the shower tent, which was just inside the fence line, had a big sign on it. It said, non-potable water, do not drink. <laughs> but don't drink it, but take a shower three times a day because it was July and it was 130 degrees. So, wow. you, you know, you, you jumped in the shower just to cool off every once in a while, unless you were lucky enough to go to work in the air-conditioned trailers or fly. Which was even better. By, by the way, those air-conditioned trailers, believe it or not, were a contract that I was in charge of at NCR. Oh, wow. Those computers were all and, – yeah. and I remember one day coming into the office, and there was a check on my desk. And I opened the check, and it was a million dollars. And I called our controller, and I said, hey, we got a million-dollar check here. And I know what it's for. He said, I don't care what it's for. If it's a government check, and bring it to me. We'll cash it and then figure out what's wrong. <laughs> And, and there was a note on it that said Charlie got it, and I didn't. At the moment, I wasn't thinking that they were talking about the Viet Cong taking out that trailer. So let's move forward a bit on this. And what's going on with the VVA today? Well, first of all, we're still dealing with Vietnam veteran issues. We're still uh, right now wrangling in Congress over four additional diseases we wanted to add to the presumptive list for Agent Orange illnesses. Hypertension is the one we're probably never going to get. But the others, bladder cancer, hyperthyroidism, and and Parkinson's-like syndromes, there's a bill that's been approved in the Senate waiting to go to the conference with the House, and we think we're going to get it, which is important. And, of course, having recently, over the last year, finally won the battle for the uh, Blue Water Navy folks. Yes. That was a big deal. And so this would even be more illnesses that they could qualify for. So we're still dealing with Vietnam veterans issues. We're looking at the whole issue of grand- children and even grandchildren being affected by Agent Orange. 
we're still pushing that. Nobody wants to talk about that, although we're the only veterans that have got at least one disease uh, that, that, that the children can get a compensation for directly. Spina bifida, children of Vietnam veterans can get, and grandchildren, and God knows what. We don't know how long it's going to go, unfortunately. Oh, really? Yeah. The important thing here is that 1974, we pulled out of Vietnam, or roughly about that time. That's a long time ago, and some people are saying, well, you know, that, that's ancient history today, but it's not for the people that lived it. No, and unfortunately, as I say, we really worry about the generational carryover into the, into the children and grandchildren. And of course, our motto out of our first convention is never again will one generation of veterans abandon another. And we take that motto seriously so that uh, we've been fo- we focus, for example, on, the, on the, the folks in the Gulf War. They've been really seriously damaged by a lot of the, uh, the toxic exposures that they've yes. had in their service there. And we help push that legislation and get them covered on some stuff. We're still looking at the burn pit issues with the present-day veterans in, in Afghanistan and Iraq. One of the other things, too, we've got some people looking at taking serious looks at pollution here in the States. Camp Lejeune was, was not an outlier. It was more common than most people think, particularly around the air bases. The pollution coming off of a lot of the toxic substances that the Air Force uses to keep their planes clean, to keep them de-iced, to, you know, just the fuels they use, all of it is terribly toxic. And it gets into the groundwater. And there's serious, serious problems all around the country. It's going to cost the government billions to clean this stuff up, maybe trillions. And there's already locations I know in Michigan and New Mexico and several other places where the locals have started to sue the Air Force or sue the government about the pollution to their water supply. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, these are really serious issues that are affecting our country and our people. And uh, we want to keep your feet to the fire. We, you know, we, we've been you know, kind of the leaders on this toxic exposure issue. John, let's drop back to burn pit a little bit. Maybe a lot of people don't know what burn pit is. Yeah, well, the, the military in an inimitable fashion decided that rather than clean stuff up, they'll just burn everything. I even heard a, a, a kind of an anecdote one time about a, a, a burn pit in Iraq, I think it was, where they found the tank when they finally cleaned it up. So they just burn everything. I mean, it's, it's insane. And, and again, a lot of the stuff that we utilize, a lot of the equipment we have, the, the, is just very toxic. And so rather than, to, you know, get rid of it safely and, you know, they, they just burn it and they burn everything. And it creates this terrible fumes that go everywhere. And of course, the way they have the bases in there that are all closed in because they, they can't go outside without getting shot at or some silly thing from the enemy. They keep people enclosed near these burn pits. So a lot of these uh, veterans from the from the Delta Wars are really coming back with all kinds of toxic exposure issues. Well, you know, I was going to say that I, I've got problems with my lungs, and I have had since I got out of the military. But there's never been a relationship to military in that. But at Wright Patterson Air Force Base, back mm-hmm. in the SAC area, behind the SAC area, there was a area that they had about six old airplanes. And they would take all of the fuel that mm-hmm. they had taken out of airplanes that were being worked on, and right. then they'd spray it on those airplanes, fire a flare into them, and then what they would do is they would have the firefighters practice putting out fires. Ah, uh, 
Yeah. And then they'd come and get several of us non-stripers and give us rakes and hose, and we would have to rake the area around the airplanes. And I remember coming off there coughing and hacking. And Yeah, uh, well, you'd, you'd be surprised. You probably got exposed to stuff. You should try to talk to some doctor to see if they can figure that out. And the worst part is, obviously, is that there is no opportunity at all for uh, the uh, records to show that because no, of course they're not, not there. No, you'd have to get all kinds of buddy letters from guys that you serve. They're all dead. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that also tells you something. I, I turned 80, 80 in November, so you know, yeah. they're all dead. Oh, God. Very few of them around. it, So that it makes it difficult for, I can see with these burn pit things, it's going to yeah. be the same way. A lot of people, they didn't let us go to medics when no. we were coughing and hacking. They said, just suck it up, and we did. Yeah, yeah. no. You're a little better today on that, but not a lot, not a lot. And so, but at least now, the, the, the folks that are serving today have been informed fairly early that you've got an issue so that we've gotten some people that are doing studies and we've been going out and trying to talk to them about it. So some of the younger organizations, the younger veteran organizations out there have taken that pretty seriously and they're trying to work with Congress even now before they become 70. By the way, my guest today, for those of you who did not tune in on time, is John Rowan. He is the president of the Vietnam Veterans of America and one of the founding members. You've been with it a long time. How many years have you been president, by the way? Oh, I'm in my 16th year. <laughs> like everybody else, I get to hang around as long as they keep reelecting me. You know, I've, I've always said, if you take a job three times in a row, it's yours forever. And you're the perfect example of that, John. Yeah, I'm on my seventh term or eighth term, eighth term, I guess. How many members does the Vietnam Veterans of America have? Roughly? Amazingly, 87,000 plus and growing still. Now, speaking of growing, what is the times that one would have to have served in order to be a member? I missed it by a, about a year. I was in and got out in August of 63. So I missed it just a little bit. You know, I'd have to take a look again. They keep um, shifting that number, by the way. Yeah, they do. It's the Vietnam era. I mean, it takes you right up to 75, clearly. The end, the end date's in 75. Uh, and there's plenty of people we have who are members who were never in Vietnam, but were in in those last days of the Vietnam era. And I think it's – got to double-check that because I think it's 61, I thought. But I'll have to check I think there's a difference in era serving. There's a variety of different things. Oh, I know. It's, it's so crazy. Uh, we kept trying to move that back, but they don't want to hear it. The interesting thing you're talking about is the looking forward at Desert Storm and these other things. Have you given any thought to letting some of these people now join your organization? We have, actually. It was an issue at our last convention and a lot of discussion about it. But the reality is... Veterans today are a whole different breed. They're a very interesting group. Like many people today are the young people, they're all computer freaks. <laughs> they, they, uh, they're all, in, they live on their iPads or their, or their cell phones or whatever. They take a different angle on getting together to them. I mean, we are, I mean, even though VVA is a youngish organization of sorts compared to the other ones who are cel celebrating a hundred anniversary and whatever. The truth is we are still an old structure. We're based on the old style group, you know, chapters, state councils, 
the, the membership based on uh, being in the military, for one thing. The younger veterans today are have a little bit different take on it. They're much more corporate structures. Many of the new organizations that are out there working with the new veterans, they have a lot of community-based organizations. They're very interesting. And so we, we basically looked at that idea and it would make, we'd have to change our name, which a lot of our people weren't too happy with. Right, I can imagine that. And, and, and the other thing, obviously, the younger veterans aren't gonna join Vietnam Veterans of America because you know, that we're their grandfathers for kind of love. <laughs> and then, so we, we've basically given that up. But we have thought about trying to maybe possibly work with a new organization that we could slowly over time turn some of our activity over. Okay. Uh, you know, so uh, in the national office, for example, the two biggest things that we do besides run an organization is our, is our legal department, which does all of the appeals on claims issues, and we're very good at that. We have a great record on that. Our, our attorneys that we've had over the years have been terrific. And our government advocacy program, the, the Hill. My folks who work the Hill operations are excellent. We've, been, we've got a great reputation up on the Hill. Uh, we've been assiduously nonpartisan forever. Um, we don't even have a hint of left, right, or Republican, Democrat, or anything like that. We don't get into anything else. We don't get into foreign affairs. We don't want to know what's going on, anything else. We simply focus on veterans' issues and veterans' issues only. And so over the years, we developed a very good reputation. And so when we go to Congress and tell them something, they believe us. John, I do want to say just very quickly, Moki Porter has been very helpful to me. And I, I want you to know that I really appreciate everything she's done in getting this set up for us. Good, glad you, glad it works. It's working out. John, I've got about a minute left. Is there something left that you'd like to tell us? Yeah, I, I, again, I just think this whole toxic exposure issue, whether it's for our problems coming back from Agent Orange to Gulf War veterans and their exposures, which were really unbelievable. And of course, the present day folks who've gone to Afghanistan and Iraq, but more importantly, make it understand that the military, being in the military is often hazardous to your health, period. <laughs> no, I mean, seriously. It, Beyond it, being shot think, at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, besides the obvious, even if you're, in, even if you're back home in the States, unfortunately, uh, it can c carry with you for a long time. And people need to know that, and the military needs to know that. And they need to clean this stuff up. They're trying a little bit. And they can find you at VietnamVeteransOfAmerica.org, right? Yep. BVA.org, Jay Rowan at BVA.org. I want to thank you so much. My guest today has been John Rowan, vet Vietnam Veterans of America president. He's been president for 16 years, and he looks pretty healthy, so I expect he'll go on from here. John, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate thank you. it. Ladies and gentlemen, you're unique, you're special, and you're great. Tell yourself so often because you are, you know, and we'll talk to you again on Veterans Corner Radio. You've been listening to Veterans Corner with your host, Air Force veteran Bill Hodges. The views expressed on this program are those of Bill and his guests and are opinions based on the best available information. In matters of law or governmental regulation, it will always be best to check with the appropriate agency. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us for the next Veterans Corner. Here's a quick final thought. If you're enjoying these podcasts, why not take a minute to subscribe or mark Veterans Corner Radio as a favorite? It's easy, and you'll be set to be among the first to find out when new podcasts are published. And thanks again for listening to Veterans Corner Radio.